0: Despite being a lifelong Unitarian and now Unitarian Universalist, or maybe because of it, I have long had a special fascination with Easter. My rational self has scoffed, wondering what it is that allows perfectly rational people to believe in resurrection. Yet I think my heart has longed to believe. For every Easter, As a layperson, as some of you have heard me say before, I would come to church secretly longing to hear the minister explain how these things could be, to make sense of it all. How someone who died an excruciating, lingering death on a cross could possibly come back to life. I rejoiced in the great music of the season. I joined in the festive celebration, yet I was never satisfied. I remember the anthem part with joy, especially some of the more festive ones. I used to sing in the choir and the, every Sunday, and we'd do something special every Easter, as churches are wont to do, and I especially remember singing the music from Jesus Christ Superstar one Sunday morning, one Easter Sunday. But my rational and literal Un- Unitarian self was never satisfied. So when I came to the pulpit myself, now some 26 years ago, I set out each year to meet this challenge myself, to make sense of Easter. This morning's sermon grows out of one I first preached some 20 years ago. In fact, it was 20 years ago this Sunday. So you could think of it as John's Easter Sermon 3.0. I've probably given it three times in later versions, or 20.0, if you will. I hope my experience resonates at least a little with you. I began that sermon with these words which close the gospel of Matthew in the Christian scriptures. And remember Jesus said, "I am with you always, even to the end of time." End of the age. Now in Matthew Jesus is speaking to his disciples gathered on a mountaintop in Galilee after his resurrection. This morning let us set aside our questions about what really really happened on that first Easter Sunday, and just let ourselves enter into this text, which has spoken to me poignantly over the years. And remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What could this mean for us today? When I was young, this sort of statement left me baffled and angry. What could it mean to say that Jesus lives After all, the man was crucified. He has been dead for at least 2,000 years. One Easter years ago, our late colleague, Universalist Minister Ken Patton, entitled his sermon, his Easter sermon, Upsadaisy. Upsadaisy. Appropriate for your story this morning. In the same spirit, if less provocatively, I wanted to say, how could anyone ask me to believe in resurrection? What kind of fool did they think I was? But now I think that those many years ago, I missed the point. Today I feel no need to challenge the story. It's a story. It doesn't have to be historically true. The question for me today is, can I find truth in it? Some truth about the human experience. I start with two things that I know that Jesus died, and that he lives on in the hearts of many people. How can this be? For all of us, if we are fortunate, there are figures from our past who live on in our hearts today. Mitch Album of Tuesdays with Maury fame reminded us that death is the end of a lifetime, but not the end of a relationship. And in our hearts we know that's true. It may be a deceased parent, or a grandparent, or spouse, or sibling. It could be a close friend, or a teacher who believed in us. Perhaps most wrenching of all, it could be our child. How often their faces pass before our eyes. We hear their voices, we feel the warmth of their hands. They are with us, always. For many people, Jesus was like that. And for some, God, a God whose presence we feel, even though we do not image a face. And that experience is what I want to talk about this Easter morning. How much I was moved by a story shared at a meeting of our clergy some years ago by seminary professor Tex Sample. And I'm going to have trouble telling this one, as I often do. Like many of us, Tex had had his fill of sentimental old hymns like In the Garden. Some of you will remember that from your earlier church experience. You know, the one with the chorus that goes, He walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me that I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there none other has ever known. Sentimental, obviously. One day in class, Sample sang this song in parody. He condemned it as hopelessly individualistic, privatistic, full of escapist spirituality. And afterwards... Afterwards, a 35-year-old student came up to him and said something like this. Thanks. My father started screwing me when I was 11. And he kept it up... (laughs) He kept it up until I was 16 and found the strength somehow to stop it. And after every one of those ordeals, I would go outside and sing this song to myself. I come to the garden alone. Well, the dew is still in the roses, and he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me that I am his home. Without that song, I don't know how I could have survived. Tex, don't you ever, ever, ever make fun of that song again when I'm in the class. This woman is not alone. Many people, perhaps some of us, enjoy a spiritual life in which images and the stories that go with them are more real than the abstract ideas that others find their meaning in. These are people for whom God has a human face. To be honest with you, I sometimes envy them, for I do not easily see God this way. Yet I envy the simplicity and immediacy of the garden imagery of this song. It's all too easy for me to get caught up in my intellectual self. I like to think of myself as strong and self-sufficient. There was a time when I would never break down when reading something like that. But I am not always that way. There are times when I need a spiritual companion. In fact, almost every day, especially in the dark hours of the night. I need a Jesus or a God who will walk with me and talk with me. The old image, the old deist image of a God who created the universe and wound it up like a clock and then left it to run by its own laws just doesn't do it for me. I don't do a very good job of running even my little corner of the universe on my own. All my vaunted ideas and concepts still leave me feeling that something is missing in my life. I need some company in my spiritual garden. Like our transcendentalist forebears, I may first be drawn to my garden by the numinous vastness of the heavens and the sheer beauty of the fields and flowers. But still, sometimes I long for a God with a human face and arms to hold me. Sometimes I find this God without imaging Jesus, but many more people image the face of Jesus, the Jesus who promised to be with us always. Of course, Jesus does not come alone. He comes with memories of his teachings, but especially of his parables, the stories of the prodigal, the banquet to which no one came, the seed and the sower, and above all the stories of Jesus' own life, his healings, his empathy for the poor, the outcast, his journey to Jerusalem at the end of his life, and yes, his death on the cross. This Jesus is partly historical, partly traditional, and partly of my own imagining. Following the lead of Christians in all times and places, I envision him in my own cultural image, as did the sculptors and painters whose work we find in the world's great cathedrals and those who work today. I think you were entitled to do the same. Imagine him white, Imagine him black, imagine him male, imagine him female, imagine him gay or straight. The important thing is not his appearance, but our faithfulness to what we know of his life, his teachings, his example. In another text sample story, a young seminary graduate preaches to his new congregation an elaborate and scholarly sermon which sketches out his Christology, his view of Jesus. He is sure his seminary professors would be proud. But at the door, after the service, a woman grabs his collar with one hand and points a finger at his face with the other and says, Reverend, I did not come to church to hear about what someone else said about Jesus. I came to hear what Jesus said to you. Here I think we touch on a sensitive issue in our tradition, for some of us come to church, as I did for many years, wanting a service addressed to the mind, the intellect. I can remember for years glancing at the sermon description in the newsletter, and if it sounded like what I then used to call touchy-feely, I would stay away. Other people, however, then and now come wanting a service that's addressed to the heart, to the emotions. They need to sing or shout or simply move about, sharing their joy and their praise. In truth, I think at various times in our lives, most of us need worship that reaches both the head and the heart, sometimes even at the same time in the same service. Tech Sample Story speaks to my own inner conflict. Part of me wants to preach to you about Jesus. A whole array of religious ideas. That's the scholarly strand of our religious tradition. But when I'm sitting where you are, I'm clear that I want to hear not just the preacher's book learning. I want to feel the preacher's own struggle and experience. And that's what I'm trying to do this morning. In my own prayer life, my own spiritual garden, I would like to be able to ask Jesus when I feel conflicted, what would you do? Just asking the question might help me cut through the rationalizations that my lawyer's mind is so good at. To the realities of life which Jesus saw so clearly. Just imagining, imagining him beside me in my garden might give me fresh courage and resolve. And, I admit, I also want the reassurance of his acceptance is love. I suspect that some of us resort to such a garden maybe every day maybe when the going gets hard. We look for reassurance we look for example. We look for inspiration. We share our hurts and our fears and as we do we can pour out our hearts and we can just listen. We may come to the garden at first in a time of crisis. But if we come back, if we make it a habit, it can be a source of ongoing spiritual growth. A place where we go in search of clarity and direction, strength and courage for the journey. Whom do we invite into that garden? Now this is an Easter sermon, so I started with Jesus. Many of us have been badly hurt by things done in the name of Jesus. In our lives, and in memory, things that have happened over the centuries. It certainly doesn't have to be Jesus. My point is that we have a garden, and that we invite into the garden those who speak to us, those to whom we look for spiritual authenticity. It might be Jesus. It might be a prophet. It might be a saint, might be Moses, might be the Buddha, or a teacher in the name of Buddha. It might be a much loved parent or grandparent. It might be someone else who believed in us. Who believed in us. There's so many teachers that most of us can remember that have meant so much to us because they believed in our potential. The faces we imagine in our childhood may always be with us—the face of God or Jesus or whomever it was. Perhaps a full company of saints and prophets, spiritual teachers. But even if the faces remain the same, the way we imagine them, the way we image them, will change. When I was a child, I spake as a child, wrote Saint Paul. I reasoned like a child, and when I became an adult, an adult, I put away childish ways. And as we grow, as our spiritual horizons widen, we might invite in some new figure we encounter, perhaps a spiritual teacher who has inspired us, perhaps Dr. King, or someone from an eastern tradition. Is it childish to imagine Jesus or some other spiritual companion to invite them into our hearts? Is it ununitarian in violation of our vaunted rational tradition? I don't think so. Yes, a rational approach to life and to religion has been a core value of our Unitarian tradition, and it still is. But spiritual experience is the foundation of all religion. All theology is built on spiritual experience of the past. And what keeps it alive and fresh over the years is continuing spiritual experience. And the language of reason gets tangled in literalism when we use it to describe such experiences, for they really can be described only in the language of metaphor. Metaphor and simile, stories, poetry. As in, it was like, or as if, I think this morning of stories told by Jesus and about him, none more powerful than the story of his resurrection. When religion becomes alive for most of us is when these stories resonate with our own experience. As has been said, the resurrection never happened, but it happens every day. So at least it has been for me. Discovering the great truths of religion through the power of metaphor and stories and poetry has helped me to become much more of a whole person, less judgmental and critical, and I hope more understanding and appreciative. I no longer define my faith in terms of what I don't believe, but in terms of the kind of life I want to live. Come Easter each year, I'm less interested in what happened to the body of Jesus and more interested in how I can keep his spirit alive in my own life. And so this Easter morning, and every day of our lives, whatever our spiritual paths, I want to invite us, I want to give us permission to resort to our spiritual gardens without feeling we've betrayed our rational UU identity. Whomever we have invited into our gardens, loved ones, respected teachers, faces of the divine from any spiritual tradition, I hope we'll experience them as voices that are with us, always, as our intimate spiritual companions. May we walk with them, and talk with them, and feel the joy that so many have known. May it be so. Amen. Let's stand.